This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, Radio Parallax continues and will do so for a bit longer, despite the fact that uh, both Mr. McMillan and myself are operating under a great deal of pressures and various obligations. We would like to thank those of you who have contributed directly to this program, but we're somewhat sad to note that we are falling a bit short of our goals in this department. I would say at this point that our current plan is to continue into November, I would say, and then reevaluate. If by chance we should bring Radio Parallax to a close, we plan to come back with something else, a new and improved version, a little bit different, but uh, retaining the features that we hope that you have come to enjoy. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to try and make today an original program from start to finish. And part of doing that, I think, will involve omitting our This Day in History because we just got a lot of ground to cover. In fact, we're going to combine our quote, our quip, and our joke into one, which will be, and this comes from the historian Will Durant, that, quote, to say nothing, especially when speaking, is half the art of diplomacy. We really like that one, to say nothing, especially when speaking. Doesn't that summarize a lot of politicians? All right, moving right on to our good news item for the day, we would note that apparently the Tasmanian devil is making a comeback. Oh, and by Tasmanian devil, we refer to the actual animal that lives on the island south of Australia, not the Warner Brothers cartoon character. Now, as reported on this program some years ago, the, the Tasmanian devil was developing a cancer, a facial tumor that apparently was transmissible, came from a virus, and uh, something like 90% of the devils have been wiped out, but those that are left behind appear to have a genetic resistance, and they appear to be coming back. We hope so. This would be an example of evolution in progress. All right. Our quasi-anecdote for today's program comes from the Washington Post, which noted last week that before passing a new voter ID law back in 2013, North Carolina Republican officials asked the Board of Elections for a breakdown of the 2008 voter turnout by race and type of vote and a breakdown by race of, quote, registered voters in your database that do not have a driver's license number, unquote. Here's the part that we like. Apparently, state Republican consultant Carter Wren said about this that the GOP was trying to suppress black votes, quote, because they vote Democrat, unquote. So the effort was political and not racist. And we imagine that you're relieved to hear that. All right, we'll do two stats of the day. The first one is that Donald Trump's campaign has seven policy proposals listed on his website, and the explanations of those total 9,000 words. Hillary Clinton's campaign has 65 policy fact sheets with detailed proposals totaling 112,000 words. We'd bet on one thing, however, that the Donald Trump proposals are great, just great, undoubtedly the best. And stat number two is that with gas prices down, 40% actually, from two years ago, Americans took to the roads this summer. And last June, drivers burned more than 405 million gallons of gas a day, which is the highest amount in U.S. history. Let's jump immediately to a bit of follow-up, shall we? 
we still feel bad about getting a little bit overheated over this matter of the star HD 164595 possibly beaming us radio signals. And to laugh at the piece in New Scientist by Jacob Aaron titled, Why Mysterious Space Signals Are Never Aliens. And of course, there's many arguments for why that might be so, but Aaron points out that this star, 95 light years from Earth, HD 164595, um, well, our sun would represent one of 14,000 other stars at about the same distance from HD. Aaron asks, are we arrogant enough to think our pinprick of light is worth the effort of beaming radio signals? Well, we suspect not, even though our signals of radio and TV are, haven't really arrived there yet. Can you imagine what they're going to think when the Beverly Hillbillies finally gets there? Another follow-up item is the fact that people are just not letting up on this notion there's a huge opioid ap epidemic going on across the country, killing people right and left. ScienceNews.com reported that fentanyl, the prescription opioid blamed for the accidental death of Prince, appears to be fueling a nationwide surge in overdose-related fatalities. They note that it's 100 times more powerful than other opioids. Well, yes. And thus, when your doctor prescribes it for you, they adjust downward accordingly. I mean, we're all aware of taking a drug that's one milligram, right, versus another drug that may be, say, 500 milligrams. It is dosed according to its effect. But at any rate, um, they just won't let up on this. The uh, article noted that uh, recently in Sacramento, there were 14 fentanyl-related deaths. Only these are not exactly fentanyl-related deaths from your doctor. These are from drug dealers who cut it with heroin or break it or, or add other ingredients to it and then sell it on the street. This is not a good practice. Instituting all sorts of uh, restrictions on the use of opioids is not really a smart idea and is not going to solve this problem. Even uh, Daniel Ciccaroni, described as a physician specializing in addiction at the University of California, San Francisco, notes that because fentanyl can be made cheaply and easily, I think it's here to stay. Well, yeah. Another follow-up article that really kind of blew my hair back was um, this piece that showed up earlier this week about the sugar industry. It's been suspected by some, including Dr. Daniel Lustig, also at UCSF, that, um, well, there was some effort to steer uh, <laughs> doctors and health researchers away from looking at sugar, which they were doing in the 60s and 70s, and concentrating more on fat as a risk factor for health problems, including heart disease. Well, it turns out that uh, well, it turns out that some further investigations into what the sugar industry was up to is um, coming up with some unsettling news. According to uh, Candace Choi, writing in the AP, the sugar industry began funding research that cast doubt on sugar's role in heart disease, in part by pointing the finger at fat, as early as the 1960s, according to an analysis of newly uncovered documents. The documents in question were a correspondence between a sugar trade group and researchers at Harvard University. Back in 1964, the group now known as the Sugar Association internally discussed a campaign to address negative attitudes towards sugar after studies began emerging linking sugar with heart disease. The following year, the group approved Project 226. This entailed paying Harvard researchers today's equivalent of $49,000 for an article reviewing the scientific literature supplying materials they wanted reviewed, and receiving drafts of the article. 
The resulting article, published back in 1967, concluded there was no doubt that reducing cholesterol and saturated fats was the only dietary intervention needed to prevent heart disease. Well, now, of course, with the explosion of diabetes, which is clearly a risk factor for heart disease, we're realizing, well, maybe not. The American Heart Association, in response to this news, has cited a study published in 2014 saying that too much added sugar can increase the risks of heart disease, although the authors of that study say the biological reasons for the link are not completely understood. In response to this recent um, study, the Sugar Association says it questions the authors of this study's attempt to play into the current anti-sugar sentiment. And no, we don't know much about this um, sugar conspiracy theory. We will continue to follow where this all leads. It's pretty clear that in this 1967 study, the researchers overstated the consistency of the literature on fat and cholesterol while downplaying studies on sugar. Another, another news related to the study of food, uh, apparently Pete's Coffee is now partnering with UC Davis to study coffee. We've noted the partnership between the Mars Corporation and UC Davis's study of chocolate, and of course the fact that the wine and beer industry relies upon UCD being a premier institution in the study of everything related to agriculture, as well a good place to take a look at the health benefits of wine and beer, of which I'm sure there are many. But as you're probably well aware, the use and overuse of wine and beer also creates problems. Although so far nobody's calling for the reintroduction of prohibition because bad things happen when people drink too much beer and wine. It's like fentanyl. Yes, as you may recall, we did try an experiment back in this country in 1919 in banning alcoholic beverages. It didn't pan out so well. All right, and some other follow-up. We've taken a rather dim view of some technological breakthroughs, so-called. Apparently Google's going into this in a big way, and Uber's trying to, to, to basically edge them out. Uh, the last we heard uh, that Uber, Uber was planning to make some autonomous vehicles available to people in Pittsburgh. We have not yet uh, checked with our friends in Pittsburgh to see how that's working out. But taking this whole trend a step further, uh, Gizmodo.com is reporting that, well, the people at autonomous concept vehicles have produced a giant tractor trailer which doesn't have a cab for a driver because yeah you got it it's not going to have a driver it's going to be autonomous it's going to plow fields it's going to sow uh, sow crops harvest crops and do all the things that these giant agricultural machines do only without a driver now some people have pointed out that there's some legal concerns about this the fact that the self-driving tractor will sometimes cross public roads oh what could possibly go wrong Experts say it's likely to be years before these machines appear on an actual farm. And you think, if you think that's bad, how about this quote from New Scientist magazine? Delving deep inside the human brain to look for damage is no easy task. Tiny robots crawling through it could help. <laughs> it's a tantalizing idea. Yeah, tantalizing is one word. But one problem is how to direct such nanobots to their travels. Apparently, Panagiotis... Katakazas of the National Technical Institute of Athens, Greece, and his team have turned to an algorithm that describes the squirming behavior in bats to better direct tiny robots to go through your brain. Okay, who thinks this is a good idea? Well, apparently, Katakazas told the IEEE Engineering in Medicine and Biology Society meeting in Orlando, Florida last month that a computer simulation showed that 
his bat-based approach would require just four bots to crawl through your brain and find a small tumor within a matter of minutes. Katrakazas hopes to build a system based on this approach and begin treat and trialing it in people within a few years. Okay, anybody want to sign up? Mr. Merlin does point out this will be a lot easier than shrinking people down like they did in the Fantastic Voyage book and movie. And yes, and we continue to have doubts about using computer algorithms to do things that humans normally do. Apparently, um, algorithms may be to blame. They're, they're being, Facebook is being cagey about this, but apparently uh, that iconic image from the Vietnam War of the children running down the street, in one case, the little girl naked because she's just been napalmed, got pulled off of Facebook because I guess some algorithm judged it as kitty porn. A lot of people are concerned about this because apparently a lot of knuckleheads out there are getting their news strictly through Facebook, which makes Mark Zuckerberg one of the world's premier editors-in-chief, a role I'm not sure we should entrust to Mr. Zuckerberg. Of course, a sidelight issue that I really like about this is they pulled the picture because it's a naked little girl. They didn't pull the picture because of the obscenity of being napalmed, but our next to the last um, follow-up item is some good news. Apparently, Pokemon Go is dying on the vine. Yes, apparently just two months after the launch of this huge internet fad, tech journalists are saying the game is all but dead. You can't exactly describe it as a fa failure, however. Apparently, the game earned $400 million worldwide and is still currently the top-grossing app in the United States. And a final follow-up item concerns Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte. He's apparently been releasing police and vigilante hit squads against suspected, suspected drug dealers. Duterte said, my order is shoot to kill you. I don't care about human rights. You'd better believe me. It's noted that when the president, who was formerly the mayor of the city of Davao in the Philippines, um, took over, it was basically the murder capital of the Philippines. He cleaned it up by using death squads. He called himself the Punisher. He turned these death squads loose, uh, loosely aligning them with city authorities. They roamed the streets on bicycles, shooting suspected, suspected drug dealers on sight. It was noted that hundreds of people were killed, but the crime rate did drop. Now, we have to admit there, there's no evidence that Donald Trump is going to unleash death squads, but the fact that his tough talking appeals to so many people I think does require us to take a step back and take a look at what's going on in the Philippines and say, is this the kind of thing we want? And yeah, I know some people have complained that we've been a little bit hard on Donald Trump, but gee, we think it's rather more likely we haven't been hard enough, but we're leaving that mostly to others and to Mr. Trump himself. All right, let's, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for intolerance. That's NTS, not intolerance, although that does play into the story slightly. The story is that Ohio's Kent State University has opened the country's first entirely gluten-free campus cafeteria because officials said they didn't want students with celiac disease to feel, quote, singled out, unquote. Yes, we'd hate to see any intolerance 
of the people who believe themselves to be intolerant. We say believe to be because this belief that gluten is poisoning people right and left is probably overblown by a factor of somewhere between 10 and 100. But this correspondent has a very hard time believing that all those who think they're gluten intolerant really are. There's some pretty good evidence they are not. It was, on the other hand, a bad week, we would say, for 150 years of efforts to achieve racial equality with the news that California State University, Los Angeles, is now offering segregated housing for African-American students so that they can avoid, quote, racially insensitive remarks, unquote, and other, quote, microaggressions, unquote. This new black living community is being created in response to the black student union's demand for, quote, a safe space, unquote. A growing number of colleges, including the University of California at Berkeley, are setting aside special housing for students of color. Well, I guess according to the Supreme Court decision of Plessy versus Ferguson, they can make them separate as long as they're equal. No, wait, they overturned that with Brown versus Board of Education. What in the hell is the matter with college students today? And by the way, agreeing with me on, on this particular uh, outlook is Larry Harvey, who's the guy who basically started Burning Man. Thirty years ago, Harvey and some friends gathered around a burning wooden figure at an impromptu party on San Francisco's Baker Beach. That spontaneous gathering gradually morphed into Burning Man. Now, a lot of people have been critical of, of Burning Man uh, over the fact that, well, among other things, the event's being taken over by rich Silicon Valley nerds, some of whom, whom spend up to $20,000 for a VIP spot out on the desert. Harvey, in response to that, said, look, we're not the Occupy movement. Civilization and commerce have always gone hand in hand. That may well be, but what I find curious is Larry Harvey's view on the ideals of today's college-age leftists. Contrary to Burning Man's exploratory ethos, Harvey notes that, have you noticed what's happening with student politics now? It's all hugging one another and receding into cuddle puddles. Well, yeah, I hope if any college students go off to Burning Man, they, they can create some safe spaces out there to avoid microaggressions. All right, it was, on the other hand, an ugly week last week for considering a catfish fry, if you live in Cuba, with the news that huge invasive catfish are taking over the sewers in the Cuban city of Cienfuegos. Apparently, Claudius Gariempinus, an African walking catfish, can survive up to three days out of water, has become a pest in Cuban rivers and lakes for years, ever since it escaped from the fish farms where it was being raised for food. Now, who thought the idea that a catfish that can walk on dry land would be a good thing to put in your ponds? It is noted that while this fish doesn't get very large, it's really very aggressive. It can eat rodents, chickens, and even puppies. Specialists from the Cuban Ministry of Science, Technology, and Environment, and you really wouldn't think this, this warning would be necessary, but they did point out to locals that it was unsafe to eat any fish caught in the sewers. <laughs> and in a news item that we'd have to say is maybe good, but probably bad, turns out that ISIS leaders 
have banned referees from soccer matches in its Syrian strongholds because they uphold the rules of FIFA and not Sharia law. And no, we have no idea how you would apply Sharia law to a soccer match, but the fact that the sporting activity is being allowed is, I suppose, a good thing. And finally, what might be good news to some, but we think is probably pretty ugly news, is the fact that experts in robotics are warning us that by the year 2050, humans will be having sex with cyborgs, and they may prefer them to other humans. Researcher Joel Snell of Kirkwood College said, sex bots would always be available and could never say no. Robotic sex may become addictive. I find myself at this point speechless. Ms. McMillan, however, has stepped up to the plate to note that, well, in the future we might have robots doing brain surgery, driving around in a car, and then having sex with you. And by God, we need a break at this point, so let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.